Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we'll discuss another of the seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins, just to inform our listeners who may not be familiar, are those sins which were identified by many early Christians who were part of the monastic movement. And these sins are especially dangerous because they can masquerade as righteousness. So for example, sloth can be masquerading as rest or lust as love. Or as today's topic is, gluttony might be masquerading as eating unto the Lord. Or some might have the mindset, well, at least I'm not smoking weed, that kind of thing. So Aaron, by way of review, can you help us understand what are the seven deadly sins and where did this list originate? Yeah. So right out of the gates, we we want to just say that we want to, um, we want for this podcast to help to develop well-rounded leaders yeah. not, <laughs> <laughs> to fill out your theology, <laughs> but not in a literal sense. <laughs> so that, this, this podcast actually is for Christians as a whole, but I, I think it's important for those of us that are in positions of influence to think through this issue because it's a very real issue in society. But anyway, the seven deadly sins it's not a biblical list per se. So there's no 10 commandments and then you're thumbing through the Bible thinking, why have I not found the seven deadly sins? It's simply a list that originated in various lists in the early monastic movement, which was, you know, second, third, fourth centuries AD. And then from what I understand, one of the early popes, as they would we would call them now, Pope Gregory, I think it was Pope Gregory the first in the 500s was the first to spell out the seven deadly sins. So there were lists of perhaps eight or 10 floating around. And largely as a pastoral figure, he was speaking out against the vices that plagued people in his day, but he also saw them as sins that were pretty much connected to every other sin in some way, shape, or form. So again, this is not a biblical list. I don't really care whether you have seven on your list or eight in your list or whether you ever use this list again, but each of the sins that are in this list are indeed condemned in the scripture. So we've already covered sloth, lust, and pride in previous episodes. And we're not doing these necessarily week by week. There's other things we talk about in between. Today, I want to talk about gluttony. And then perhaps we'll get to greed, wrath, and envy in future podcasts. I also want to dedicate this podcast, Chris, to Uh a special friend of mine. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to mention his name. I'm just going to give you his initials. And this is like an inside joke. He knows exactly who I'm talking about. So I'm just going to dedicate this episode to M.M., and that's all I'm going to say. Uh, most of you are going to have no idea what I'm talking about, but I just had to throw that in there. It's okay. sort of an inside joke, okay? <laughs> so you know who you are, and I hope you're listening to this podcast, mister. All <laughs> I right. love it. <laughs> Don't give Tongue it away. In cheek. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we know gluttony is obvious. It's It's eating too much. But could you point us to where in Scripture it's referenced in the context of those, how we know it's a sin according to the word of God. Sure. So historically, gluttony is is less about your waistline, less about your physical health, and more about other sinful aspects that gluttony brings out or that lead to gluttonous behaviors. So this is really important. In the West, especially in the modern era, People are very concerned and very knowledgeable about health issues. So people often work out. They, we know about things called calories. Mm-hmm. A couple generations ago, they wouldn't have talked about calories. We know about, uh, we have BMI, you know, body mass index. You can look up your weight, your gender, and have a general idea of where you should fall mm-hmm. before you're, you're overweight. And we, we live in a culture where people talk a lot about clean foods or organic foods or eating healthy. These are more modern notions that have been applied to the concept of gluttony. But historically, 
historically, it was less about your waistline and more about other things. So for example, eating too much was considered sinful in part because that meant people who were going without didn't have access to food. Mm. So it wasn't just a sin against your own body. It was a sin against others. Not leaving food for others at a banquet. Perhaps filling your, you can imagine a, a king or a person in a position of power with a whole banquet table full of food, more than they could possibly eat, and their skinny, scrawny servants are standing around them, half starving, but they're filling their faces with food. This was considered to be inappropriate behavior. And indeed it is because it's not so much about you ingesting too many calories, but the implications of that and the optics of that in relationship to other people. It was also demonstrative of a lack of self-control. And if you lack self-control in the area of drink or in the area of food, it spills over into your lack of self-control in other areas. Even people that spent too much money on food were considered gluttons. So you, you might be more or less fit looking, hmm. but if you spent too much money on food, that was considered a lavish lifestyle, especially in contexts where other people didn't have access to food like you do. If you think about our current era, we, we have a similar problem in the West. So... When I was a kid, back in the late 70s, early 80s, it was very rare to eat out. In fact, you come from a large family, too. I'm curious. Mm -hmm. How often would your family have Very eaten out? rare. Yeah. It like, was a special occasion once like a year, a couple once times Once or twice a year. a year. It's not uncommon for people to eat out every single day. I remember on Saturdays, once in a blue moon, my dad or my uncle would take me out to Tim Hortons. And there were no drive throughs mm -hmm for a donut and I don't know what I, maybe a chocolate milk yeah. or something like that. And that was a treat. But nowadays it's not uncommon for the next generation to go through t a Tim Hortons drive-through or Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts if you're in the US every single day, sometimes two or three times a day. It's not uncommon for young people, especially young men who, who love to eat, to spend massive portions of their salaries eating out. I hear of young men that spend up to half of their salary eating out because they don't have any other expenses. And then the, the crazy thing about this is people fill their faces with too many calories and then they have to buy a gym membership to go and burn off the calories that they didn't have to eat in the first place. I mean, it's like filling up your car with gasoline and then filling up a couple extra jerry cans and then driving around in a circle to burn off the gas in your gas tanks. You can dump the jerry cans back into your car. So literally we're ingesting calories and then running off and burning them off. In the old days, you would eat and then you'd go work in the field or the factory all day long and you'd burn them off. You would need to go for a walk later at night and have all this artificial exercise. So oftentimes people, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy world. We, we stuff our faces with unnecessary food items and then have to work hard to burn off the food that we didn't need in the first place. And it's literally, you're literally running food through your body and wasting it. Mm. And it's, it's not symptomatic of good stewardship. Mm. The National Post, and this is all prefacing your primary question yeah. about what the Bible teaches, but the National Post yeah. reported this month that Canadians, I was shocked to read this, that Canadians spend around 39% of their food budget eating out. So nice. four-tenths of your food budget, so if you if your food budget's 400 bucks, $100, uh, uh, no, that would be a hundred dollars. Yeah, it would food be, budgets is a thousand dollars. It's four hundred dollars. Yeah, so, but yeah. yeah. So if you if you have a thousand bucks, there's my mathematical skills in action. <laughs> if you if you have a thousand dollars for food in a one two three month period, depending on whether you're single or you have a family, three hundred ninety dollars of that would be spent on average eating out. And that's on mm. average. So if you're like, man, we don't spend anywhere close to that. You know, we might spend one percent, two percent, five percent, whatever your number is. Well, somebody out there must be spending 80 or 90% of yeah. it to bring the average up to 39%. So 39% of Canadians' food budget is spent eating out. And, you know, maybe I'll give a little backhanded slam to uh, our American buddies. 
if you're in the U.S., it seems like they're spending a lot more. <laughs> you cross the border, it's like, yeah, weight is an even bigger issue uh, anecdotally south of our border. We're in a border yeah. city. When I yeah. cross uh, often into Michigan, I'm like, oh, my word. Mm. Like, there's a, there's a lot of unhealthy people on the streets. Now, all of this is to say that we tend to think of avoiding gluttony as the solution to staying healthy, and that's it. Hmm. But there are many more aspects to it. There is body health, but there's also, as I've alluded to, a stewardship issue, stewardship of your resources. There's an issue of self-control. If you can't control what you put in your mouth, how are you going to control where you put your eyes, where you put your hands, your sexual appetites? One necessarily affects the other and finally it has implications for our ability to provide for other people if we're hogging all the resources literally taking the world's food wealth putting it in our bodies unnecessarily only to run to the gym to burn it off and there's people around us that are in need it just makes no sense it's it's a horrible mm -hmm. way to live your life so maybe some of these food shortage issues that often come up in the media could be solved simply by eating more reasonably. All right. So to your main point, the scriptures time and time again in both testaments speak to the issue of gluttony, of overeating. I'll give some examples of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, gluttony is associated, it's linked to, 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 to drunkenness. So eating food in and of itself is not sinful, but gluttony is eating too much. Drinking alcohol in and of itself is not sinful, but drinking too much is drunkenness. Drunkenness and gluttony are linked together as aspects or manifestations of the proverbial rebellious son. Mm. And that rebellious son is worthy of capital punishment of being stoned under the old covenant. That's how he's described when they're describing the rebellious son is brought to the city elders and put to death. The two descriptors there is he's a drunk. Well, there's three, actually. He's rebellious, he's a drunk, and he's a glutton. Mm -hmm. So gluttony is always associated with the sinner. It's never associated with the righteous. In Ezekiel 16, Sodom, we all know about Sodom. I mean, we're in a month that has a lot to say about sodomy. Sodom we think about Sodom's sexual appetites, but in Ezekiel 16, it talks about Sodom being overfed. It's mm -hmm. all linked. Mm -hmm. Sexual promiscuity, drunkenness, overeating, it's all linked. These are all sins of the flesh. These are all sins of a person that is not governed by the fruit of the spirit, which among which is self-control. Several references in the Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 23, again, it's associated with drunkenness and it's associated with laziness leading to poverty, which makes sense. If a man doesn't work, you shouldn't eat, Paul taught. If you don't work, you just spend your time eating and drinking, you eventually find yourself impoverished. This is why you have this crazy, this crazy juxtaposition of imagery in the West where you have some of the most impoverished people are also the most overweight. It's like, how, how is it possible that you're massively obese and you're impoverished? Well, in part, it's the fact that they're spending massive sums of their meager income on food and bad foods that leads to them being overweight, which further accentuates their ability to not work or to be unable to work or not to be hireable. So it's all linked. Hmm. It's all linked together. The Proverbs say it's better to put a knife to your throat than be given to gluttony. Imagine that. That's a violent image there. Better to put a knife to your throat than be given to gluttony. Take the knife out of your... 55 ounce steak and put it to your throat is the idea. Proverbs 28, it the, it's the antithesis of the one who keeps God's laws. So on one hand, you have the one who keeps God's laws. On the other hand, you have the one who is given to gluttony. And then Chris, there it's not specifically about gluttony, but it is about food choices. So in Romans 14, we have that idea of the stumbling block, which Paul also picks up in his communication with the Corinthian church and food choices being associated with being a stumbling block to others. So even in the way you eat and what you eat, there needs to be a, um, a, a conscious, 
a consciousness about how and when. In other words, the optics, we could say it this way, the optics of how you eat and when you eat matter. I got to say this, probably step on a few toes, but if I wasn't a pastor and I was a member of a congregation, I would have a really, really, really hard time sitting under the leadership of a morbidly obese pastor. I, just, I don't think I could do it. And the reason for that is because if I saw someone that was morbidly obese and and it was a result of them lacking self-control in the area of their food choices, I just don't think I could trust them to be self-controlled in other areas. Mm -hmm. it's, these yep. issues are inextricably linked. Now, on occasion, okay, on occasion, we hear people that have some sort of hormonal imbalance. But frankly, I think that's an excuse that's over overused. Uh, the vast majority of people that are morbidly obese, it's because you're putting too many calories in your mouth and it actually damages your testimony. Now, you don't have to be trim, fit, muscular, super healthy, an athlete, but there, you need, there needs to be a, a reasonable state mm. for how you care for yourself. And, you know, the body mass index uh, calculators are, are a bit ridiculous. Um, I'm six foot one. And several years ago, I was on this weight loss thing. And I, th I think for one day, I actually got down to 180. And people were, you know, calling me a scarecrow and all this sort of mm -hmm. stuff. But I looked at the body mass index. That, that's how I they said I should be. I prefer to be around 200. Yeah. I think I'm about 204 or something like that today. But um, if I... If I just use the BMI, the point is, I think I think it would, I'd be too skinny just for my my own personal benefit. So I don't think yeah. that's like the the biblical litmus test, right? But within reasonable boundaries, you know, plus or minus 10, 20, 30 pounds either way is reasonable. When you, when you start talking to someone who's a hundred, two hundred pounds overweight, it's hard to listen to a guy preach to you about self-control and discipline and fruits of the spirit. And you're looking at them thinking you clearly don't have that in the area of self-control. So there's some hypocrisy there. And I, and I, I don't think we should be ashamed to hold one another accountable. So Chris, when you break the 300 pound mark, <laughs> yes. you know, we're going to have a conversation. <laughs> I know it's all going to be solid muscle from head to toe. The, the threshold's a lot lower before my wife confronts me. So just so you know. <laughs> okay. So she'll get to you first. Totally. Okay, so I don't have to worry about that. But it's always associated with sin. For even Jesus. I mean, he was wrongly accused. But when Jesus yes. was accused by his opponents, always oh, a friend of tax collectors. He associates with sinners. He associates with drunkards and what? Gluttons. What? It's always associated with a sinful debauched lifestyle. Philippians chapter three, verse 19. I'll read this one. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. That's interesting. When your mind is set on earthly things, what do we usually preach about or think about? Oh, sins of the flesh, sexual stuff among them, right? We live in a very sex-saturated culture. So you're a fleshly man if you lust after women, if, you, if you're a woman lusting after guys. You're a fleshly person if you're heavily materialistic. But then we give everybody a pass when they're eating twice as much food as they possibly need or spending 40% of their uh, food budget eating out. We think that's totally normal. Like you can literally walk by your own coffee maker where you can brew, let's say, a cup of coffee for 40 cents and every day buy a $5 cup of coffee because you're too lazy to brew one and you just have to go through the drive through I'm not opposed to people having a good meal out. I'm not opposed to people having a good cup of coffee at another place. I'm not opposed to people supporting restaurateurs. But I think I think we can all agree by any objective standard, this is this is a bit excessive in, in our... Um, uh, culture. But here, here's one also for us to consider. The first sin. The first sin had an element of gluttony in it. And she saw that the food, the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye. And she mm -hmm. took it. So when Satan, out of all the things, 
that Satan could tempt Eve with. He doesn't bring before her a more bulked up, hulked up version of Adam. He doesn't bring before her a wardrobe full of beautiful clothes. He doesn't bring before her buckets of gold. Mm -hmm. He brings before her food, food that was forbidden by God. And it, it's symptomatic of the propensity that we have to be attracted to and to sometimes even idolize the things of this material world, including and namely among them food. So gluttony has is always associated with a person that's wandered away or is wandering away from God who lacks self-control, who is not as concerned as they should be about those around them and their physical needs. It's associated with laziness. It's associated with gluttony. So it's more than just, oh, I really love sweets. Mm. Or, oh, I just love a big juicy, you know, hamburger and, you know, double fried fries. It's way beyond that. There's actually a, uh, a deeper, a series of deeper issues that need to be addressed in our lives. Uh, and getting a handle on gluttony is, is uh, all part of that. Mm hmm yeah so one of the things you mentioned even the fact that there could be a pastor that is gluttonous and that that would be somehow accessible or acceptable makes it obvious it stands in contrast to for example if you had a pastor that was a known drunkard it would be very obvious um that he wasn't and now that fits in the qualifications i suppose right there in the the new testament letters but gluttony is generally avoided as a topic of discussion for sermons as well. It's kind of almost a respectable sin to use the term. I think Jerry Bridges used years ago. Okay. Um, most of our listeners, if they actually were to review the last, I don't know, thousand sermons they've listened to, they probably listened to, if one of them's on gluttony, there's probably a thousand on faith or something other topic like that. Do you think that says something about our, our, our current world, our current, the state of the church in terms of, our, our view of this as being a sin? I, I think it does. I mean, if it, it's not, it would be kind of weird if every single week you heard a, a sermon on gluttony. But it's really weird that many people don't even talk about it. And let's just, let's just have a conversation about why that is. So name, chief, chief among the reasons why we probably don't talk much about gluttony is it's as obvious as your waistline for many. Hmm. So if, you, if you're preaching and you're teaching and you have two eyes in your head and you're looking out at your congregation, you can talk about lust because in the moment, who knows who's lusting and who isn't or what people have done during the week. You can talk about gossip because everyone's just listening to you preach and no one's gossiping. You could talk about faithlessness but if you're looking out at a congregation of 100 people and 10 of them are massively, morbidly obese, you're going to think twice because you don't want to preach like, you never want to preach like a sniper, right? You always want to preach with a shotgun. You don't want to target specific people in the congregation or call them out. Church discipline is reserved for, you know, one-on-one -on -one and two-on-one kind of conversations. So part of it is just the, the, the physical reality of the consequences of, of gluttony. But again, we, we can't, we need to understand that gluttony is not just about your waistline. So maybe a way of preaching this would be, I'm going to address a sensitive subject today, folks, and we're going to talk about gluttony. And some of you may be sitting here today thinking, oh, you're targeting me because I have a few extra pounds on my waist. But actually, you could be a fairly fit person and still be a glutton. You could be eating more than the person next to you that's overweight and you just run and burn it off at the gym all the time. Mm -hmm. And you you excuse yourself for it because you have time to fill your face and then sort of get rid of the evidence. Mm -hmm. So we have to have a more broad conversation about gluttony. And again, some of you sitting here today might be gluttons and be hiding it to the same degree that you're hiding your own lust. So it's more than a weight issue. A person could be guilty of gluttony and vanity at the same time. We've talked about this before. Okay, I'm not opposed to people eating a good meal, nor am I opposed to people going for a run or going for a bike ride or working out at the gym. 
But I've talked about this before, how I just find it strange that we have some good godly Christian people that think it's appropriate to constantly post about their physique on social media. This is pride. So you could be filling your face with far too much food, be guilty of gluttony, hiding the evidence by going to the gym and showing your bikini clad body or your big powerful muscles. Of course, there's always going to be a tattoo in there too. And be guilty of the sin of vanity of literally you're, you're not drawing attention to anything other than you're looking for attention in the area of your physique yeah. affirmation, right? You're looking for yeah. affirmation in the area of your physique and it's all over the place. It's all over the Western world. So one of the reasons why we don't talk about gluttony is because it's, it's an awkward conversation to have. But we need to have it because the Bible discusses this issue. It also betrays our dualism and people don't like to be challenged in their dualism. So dualism, a dualism can have a variety of applications, meanings, but the way I'm using it is this dualistic view that I have an important part, my immaterial spirit soul, and I have a less important part my body and as long as i have salvation as long as i've been justified by god's grace and i got my exit plan in place and i know i'm going to heaven who really cares about how i steward this life in the here and now this is a a truncated gospel and it's a truncated theology right because the gospel of jesus christ i mean yes we we are born in sin we've inherited adam's sin we've acted upon that sin we are depraved we need the justifying grace of God to save us. And we, we, we want to be made alive in Christ and we want eternal life. And we know that God is going to, God's son is going to return and all things are going to be made new, not denying any of that. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is also about Christ's lordship over um, the, the whole earth, the whole world in the here and now. I mean, read the book of Hebrews chapter two for conversations about that so we have this tendency i think as christians because we're so fixated on keeping the gospel pure and accurate that we focus on the eternal life aspect of the gospel we don't help people to really think about how life in the here and now is part of our gospel witness it's part of the work of the gospel of jesus christ it's part living in subjection to christ is one of the outworkings of the implications of the goals of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So if I live my life just thinking, okay, here's Aaron Rock. God looks at me. He doesn't really care about my physicality. He doesn't care about the physical world. He doesn't, he doesn't, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Who cares about any of this? He doesn't care about what I eat or how I use my body, as long as my my soul is all right with God, if that's my dualism, if I if I don't see that there's a unity between the physical and the the immaterial, if if I don't see that God's intention is to redeem all of me, I mean even the bodily resurrection points to God's intention and desire to to resurrect and restore my physical body, then I'm more likely to read my Bible than I am to concern myself with the application of biblical truth to the physical world. And I, and I think that there's a lot of Christians, you know, you meet people, it's like, well, the, the guy loves Jesus or she really loves Jesus. She's a very nice person. She's kind and caring and loving and compassionate. You know, he preaches the word of God. He's faithful in his exposition of scripture. Who really cares if he's 450 pounds? It's, that's the dualism mm-hmm. that that often comes through and affects the way we preach and what issues we do and do not uh, address mm-hmm. as, as Christians. I also believe that few Christians have given careful thought to the effects or the implications or we could even say the benefits of learning to control your physical appetites in relationship to all the rest of life. Self-control. Is there a connection between what you eat and your self-control over other temptations in life? Like, is there a connection between controlling what you eat 
and controlling your sexuality. Is there a connection between controlling what you eat, controlling what you eat and controlling what you drink? Is there a connection between controlling what you eat and controlling your temper? Is there a connection between controlling what you eat and controlling how you spend your money? And I would argue absolutely. There's a direct connection between these things. If you learn, and I'll get to this a little bit more in a moment, if you learn to control what you pour down your throat or what you put in your mouth, it will have direct implications for all, all areas of life as it pertains to self-control. It'll help you to overcome other besetting sins. So if we can help people see the connection, and I want to do that today, yep. they'll want to avoid gluttony because they'll see it as one of the disciplines that God has given to us that will help us to overcome other sins of the flesh. Here's a, here's a final observation I want to make. I, I spend a little bit of time every week on social media and reading the news, and I do that Frankly, most of it's discouraging, yeah. <laughs> but I do that because I, I want to understand the world within which I live. I want to see like, how are people thinking about the issues and how are they processing what's going on in the world? And I would say that if we look at these other sins, this, the, the whole list of, of um, seven deadly sins, for the most part, up to the modern era, all of them except for gluttony have been accepted in some way, shape, or form. So sloth, that's been accepted. I mean, you, you don't even have to work to get money from the government in a socialistic citizen. Lust, we have a, a whole month where you can express yourself in an unfettered way. Pride, it's connected to lust. <laughs> yeah. We have a whole month dedicated to pride. Greed, you know, go make what you want. Who cares about the next guy? Uh, people are surprised when others give five bucks to charity because they're so greedy wrath you know getting people back um envy covetousness all these things up to the moment have been accepted but the one thing society in the last um generation or two has still had an issue with is obesity but have you noticed that that final wall has come down and now we have this term fat phobia mm. it's like it's okay to be fat it's okay to be morbidly obese. You should celebrate it. You shouldn't be discriminated against. No one should ever call you out on it. It's okay to be fat. Be comfortable in your own skin. And I just read this morning, actually, that the American Medical Association is discussing removing the body mass index, the BMI, from discussions about medical health because it's considered racist. It doesn't apply equally to all ethnic groups and all backgrounds. It's considered racist. So the, isn't that interesting? Now, the finals, we, we've sort of, for, for lack of a better way of putting it, accepted the other six as being totally fine. We even celebrate some of them publicly. And now, gluttony. It's okay to be completely out of control in the area of your diet and we'll even celebrate it and it's going to become hate speech to to suggest to someone hey bro you're twice the weight you should be maybe get a drop a few pounds that's somehow being going to be connected with racism or hate speech it's such a crazy thing and it, it ties into this whole woke culture everything about the woke culture points towards death everything about an antichrist culture points toward death it's all it's it's falsely advertised as freedom and liberty but if you look at all the major issues of our society it all points towards death population reduction don't have you get sterilized don't have kids use birth control don't have kids delay delay uh, pregnancy don't have kids if you get too old and you're useless avail yourself of of euthanasia Fill your face with as much food as you want. No one's going to call you out on it. We publicly celebrate drunkenness. There's drunks in movies and on television. No one ever calls anybody out on that. Weed shops. We have Christians that actually smoke weed now and think that somehow because it's legal, it's ethical. We have obviously abortion, infanticide, sex selective surgeries. 
everything and now obesity as being promoted and celebrated homosexuality from which there's no children born all of this chris it's all a culture of death mm -hmm. it's all smoke and mirrors from the devil and we need to see it so let's not as christians make the mistake of saying oh we're going to call out people for sloth and lust and pride and greed and envy and wrath but we're not going to talk about gluttony because we don't want to be outed ourselves, ourselves as being guilty of it yeah 100 percent. and that just gets to the heart of the matter where we see in the fruit of the spirit list in galatians that one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control it is yeah. and so speak to that in context of gluttony and maybe some solutions for gluttony how we address this issue i think it starts with being conscious and aware of the power of food over us being conscious and aware of it we have so many options the world lives in our city people have come from all over the world so you have all sorts of options choices fast foods organic foods it's a foodie culture mm -hmm. there's you're not going to go from point a to point b anywhere in our city without passing a restaurant and they're not the bad people okay restaurateurs are not bad people if you if you're listening to my show and you own a restaurant i love you if you have good food i might even attend it at some point so we're not we're not opposed to food my wife is an incredible cook she's out of the country right now so i'm eating like beans out of a can <laughs> and um not faring so well but sh she's a great cook and sh and i've i really appreciate uh, her skills in that area my my one son is a very good cook my two daughters are good good cooks my other sons and i are complete louses in the kitchen but anyway I, we like food and food is a good thing and and there's nothing wrong with with having a good meal but have we thought about the power of food over our choices and how it often is connected connected to for some people to um a longing for for release from the pressures of the world i i i've known people who are morbidly obese and they 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 have lost their jobs or they can't work because of their health and they admit that food is like a comfort for them yeah. it's like replacing god in their lives mm -hmm. it's it is the the thing that they're married to it's their family it's like a big old bag of chips a big bowl of poutine uh um you know a giant pile of mashed potatoes bags of candies whatever it might be that it's like when when they're lonely when they're isolated when they feel disconnected when they don't feel god's love they go to the cupboard they open the fridge um and it's 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 the um it's the kissing cousin to alcohol where i i, I have a a relative who drinks more alcohol in, in my view i didn't even know it was possible for a person to drink that much liquid uh like i didn't know it was possible to drink that the amount of water that he drinks in beer and mm. somehow he's just given himself over to this he doesn't need it it's not like he needs the calories or he needs that much liquid it's just something he goes through it's his comfort food you'll notice this with people have you ever noticed where there's some people that always have a pen in their hand or they they always uh have to be close to someone or they always have to have a book or they always have to have a water bottle or they always have to have a cup of coffee or they always have to have a phone they're never comfortable just by themselves they always have to have something else or someone else around them right yep. and in a broken world you know loneliness is a real thing and god has provided relationships to satisfy that but people human beings in our sinfulness have a propensity to go to things and stuff and other people to try to satisfy a longing that only god can satisfy and this is why some people are hooked on pornography don't be too hard on a guy that views pornography if you're a glutton it's the same root sin it's the same root sin we have we have to see it in our lives for what it is that if i'm addicted to food if i can't walk by walk through a grocery store and not exercise self-control analyze and assess do i actually need that is that actually good for me i have a problem in my life and i need to first of all just recognize it most people recognize most christians recognize lust they recognize unrighteous anger 
They, they recognize slothfulness because these things are preached on, but they don't always recognize the power of food and drink mm -hmm. over the choices they make. So we have to recognize it. And hopefully this podcast will help. And then obviously, then we need to repent of it, right? So with all sin, we need to repent of it. We need to ask the Lord for forgiveness and turn uh, from it. Okay, so then the Bible has a, a discipline for us. So one of the ways that God works in a physical world to help us to overcome sin, which we could say are unholy habits, is through spiritual disciplines, which we could say are holy habits. So we all have habits. You either have bad habits or good habits. You either have holy habits or, or unholy habits. So for example, this is a non-sin issue, but people are like, stop chewing on your nails. Yeah. Well, your nails are gonna grow. So if you're not gonna chew on your nails, what do you gotta do? You gotta get a pair of nail clippers. Yeah. So one's a bad habit, one's a healthy habit. And habits are part of life. We're creatures of habits. So we need to eat, for example, nobody's gonna deny that. You can't go for a long time without food, you have to eat. So regardless, if you're a human being, you're living on planet Earth, you're gonna eat. The question is, are you gonna eat with self-control or are you gonna sin? Eating is a lot like our sexuality. So part of it's biological. So God has given human beings a desire to be attracted to the opposite sex and to have sexual intercourse. And we don't think that's a bad thing. We think it's a good thing. God has created it. God has created us as sexual beings. God has created us to be attracted to food and to enjoy a good meal. Bible says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it as unto the yep. Lord. Even in the, even in communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharistic meal, we're taking food items, which symbolize the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're ingesting them. So food is not a bad thing, neither, neither is sex a bad thing, but sex can become sinful if it's done in the wrong context or for the wrong reasons, i.e. outside of marriage or in same-sex relationships or with children or mm -hmm. you know one-night stands, whatever. And food in and of itself isn't bad, but for example, you could say, Oh, is a piece of apple pie a sin? No, but 10 pieces is. Is 2,500 calories a day a sin? No, but 4,000 is. You have to think about that. It's, it's a good thing. And this is why it can so easily go overlooked in our lives. It's, well, God has given us food. Like, I like food. Mm -hmm. But when it's overdone, you have to recognize it. So what God has given to us in part is disciplines. And one of the disciplines that is underpreached in our church is fasting. And our churches, I should say, is fasting. Now, if you read the word of God, there's many reasons why we fast in the scripture. There's, there's fasting for repentance. Um, there's fasting for um, uh, overcoming temptation. Uh, there's, there's fasting for um, the purposes of humbling yourself under God. There's different reasons for fasting. It's often tied to prayer, fasting and prayer, fasting and prayer. We, we probably have a better theology of prayer than we do of fasting, but in our, and there, and there are many different ways to break down prayer too, but prayer, I would say at its heart, involves an aspect of dedication to God. It's like rec recognizing the creature-creator distinction. It's, it's in and of itself a humble act when you pray, whether it's prayers of lament or confession or thanksgiving or supplication, it's, it's, it's a humble act, right? So at its basis, there's, there's more to it than that, but there's not less to it than that. It's dedication to God. And whenever we dedicate ourselves to God, we are exercising a degree of self-control. We are saying, there's a creature, I'm a creator, there's a distinction, I need to address him, I need to confess to him or, uh, present my request to him or trust in him. It It's innately a humbling act. A person that doesn't pray is not a humble person. A person that prays is participating in an act that's building up their, their humility and expressing their humility and their contrition. So I want to I give one example of this in scripture. So in 1 Samuel 7, I'll, I'll read a, a portion here from 1 Samuel 7. And you know that 
just as in the modern era and under the old covenant, there was these cycles of rebellion and and uh, obedience, then rebellion and obedience. And Samuel, one of God's choice servants, had to often call people back to faithfulness. And it says in 1 Samuel 7, verse 2, then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So this is one of those upward swings where they're turning their face back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, now listen to his advice here, then rid yourselves of, of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. So this is the classic sin of idolatry in literal figurines and identifying and worshiping and praying to false gods. And we've seen that time and time again in the Bible. There's nothing about that that's particularly surprising. The result is, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And then it says, so Israel, the Israelites put away their bales and asterisks and serve the Lord only. So that's good. But the passage goes on to say, then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah and I will intercede with the Lord for you. So again, nothing so far in the text that's particularly surprising. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. Now, this is this is what they do next. So this is turning away from idolatry. Okay, we get that. There's going to be national confession, repentance. There's going to be this big service where they're making things right and rededicating themselves to the Lord. And out of all the activities they could put in or participate in to express that, here's what it says. On that day, they fasted and there they confessed. Fasting is inextricably linked to personal renewal, and in this case, national renewal. Fasting is inextricably linked between moving from a self-gratifying, even idolatrous lifestyle to a God-gratifying, Godward vertical lifestyle. It's inextricably linked. It is, in and of itself, humility. It is self-control. It is returning to the Lord. They go on to say, we have sinned against the Lord. So fasting is one of the disciplines. If a person is guilty, for instance, of sexual sin, what is that? It's lack of control of your physical body. Have you considered fasting? It's like, well, I don't see the, I don't see the connection. Well, if you lack physical control and, and you want to learn self-control and you say to your body, I, I'm not going to feed you for a while, but I want food. Yeah, but you need to sit down and shut up. I'm not trying to be a dualist here, like as if I have two personalities, but just yeah, follow yeah, my illustration. Yeah. It's a way of disciplining the body of saying, I will not be governed by the desires of my flesh. Yeah, but I want food. I want to, I want, I want drink. I want to be fed. Brothers and sisters, if you can discipline yourself to fast, if you can discipline yourself in your what you put in your mouth. Not only is that in and of itself an act of humility and contrition under God, but I can pretty much guarantee you it will help you to overcome all other sins of the flesh. If you struggle, for instance, with lust, and you're just working on the lust issue, I just need to control my hormones, I need to control my eyes, but you're not controlling your stomach. The two are inextricably linked. You're not humbled under God. If you struggle with tobacco use or cannabis use or other drug uses, like I, I'm just trying to, I'm focusing in on that one little sin, not that they're little sins, and I, and I want to overcome that sin, but you're, you're still filling your face with excess food and you could care less about the people around you that are going without. You could care less about the, the optics of it in terms of self-control to those under your, your leadership. You will not overcome these other sins. So fasting is, and again, I don't want to be a dualist, but because I've spoken out against that already, yeah. but it's, it's, it's like a way of saying to your flesh, I will not permit you to control me in any area of life. I will, I will not permit, I will be led by the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. I will be led by the spirit of God, not just in terms of my spiritual disciplines, I will be led by the spirit, spirit of God, not just in the area of how I express myself sexually 
or what I drink, but I will also be led by the Spirit of God in what I put into my body. I, I would suggest that uh, people could s- save a lot of time going to therapy uh, for various addictions and live with a lot more peace and a lot more confidence if they learn to control what they put on their dinner plate and on their dessert plate a little more regularly. That will have a far-reaching, uh, far-reaching effect on all sins of the flesh. That's what we need. We need to learn to control all, all sins of the flesh. If you're a materialist, well, fast. If you're a sex addict, fast. If you're a drunk, fast. If you're a drug addict, fast. Um, these are ways for us to control ourselves. Oh, but I'm a diabetic. Okay, I get it. Well, then fast from some things. Yeah. And even, even a diabetic can limit the intake of food they have, right? Yep. Some people are diabetics because they overeat. Yep. If they, you, you hear story, many stories of people that as they lose weight, their diabetes subsides. So it, there's not only medical benefits to fasting, but there's also um, physiological, uh, or, or not just physiological benefits to fasting, but there's also spiritual uh, benefits to fasting. So we need to learn to control our entire bodies, body, mind, soul, spirit. Everything that we are needs to be put into subjection under the sovereign reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you're not sure if you're overweight, um, ask a few friends. Mm-hmm. You know, some people live with, um, uh, you know, the sin of gluttony for so long. It's almost like they're unaware of it. They've just settled. Obviously, when you're 25, it's easier to lose weight than when you're 55. But we can all make progress in this area. None of us is necessarily perfect. There might be days where we're like, oh, I was kind of a glutton today. But let's not allow gluttony to be a besetting sin that's symptomatic of our lifestyles. Um, so that's my good word for today. Hopefully it's an encouraging and instructive, uh, and maybe even a tad bit convicting for uh, yeah. our listeners, especially you, Chris, you yeah, lose about 40 pounds. Actually, you're, <laughs> well, thank, no. <laughs> thank you for telling us all about that. <laughs> so no, you're in good shape, bro. It's good. Well, appreciate it. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you to your, each of our listeners for taking the time uh, to listen in, to think through it to uh, challenge maybe some of your assumptions and to think biblically about all of life. That's our goal on the show to help you think Christianly like Christ would about each matter, including our diet and our weight. So thank you for that, Aaron. If you're listening to this podcast on a certain platform, that's a great platform to share it out to others. Um, Just a reminder, if you're looking for a more convenient platform, it is a podcast that's put through a lot of different platforms like the pursuitofglory.org website or the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. Those are two good places to launch it and uh, listen and also to find other great resources. We hope you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. 